0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to church. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Uh, I decided I was going to bring a Mother's Day message because I thought, you know, who better to do this than me? Because once I had this cramp in my leg, and it hurt so bad, and I know exactly what it's like to be a mom when you have... Yeah. Thank you guys for laughing. Nobody laughed last night. All the guys were afraid. They're like looking around... And what I think is the funniest is we talked about it this morning before we, had our, we, we do our service, and it's all the guys who encouraged me to tell this joke. I've noticed that. It's not the ladies. No ladies have told me to tell that joke. It's really funny. So uh, thank you for laughing. Hey, my name's Jeremy. I'm our infrastructure pastor. If you're visiting with us, I just want to introduce myself to you. Our lead pastor, Pastor Ruben, is out this weekend. He is still recovering, but he's also uh, gone in Tennessee. Uh, his son, Josiah, and his daughter-in-law, Kaylee, uh, graduated this weekend from university, So they're out there just celebrating that and seeing them walk and they will be back. They're actually bringing Josiah and Kaylee back with them and they will be on staff starting in June. So that's exciting. Yeah, you can put your hands together. I'm excited for that. So keep them in prayer, keep praying for uh, Pastor Ruben to recover, and also pray for their travels as well. And then if you wouldn't mind, pray for me as I deliver this message this morning. And uh, let's jump in, let's pray, and we will get into this message. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love and for your grace. God, thank you so much for uh, all you have done for each and every one of us. You sent your son to this planet to live the life that we couldn't. You went to the cross and you paid for our sins, and then you defeated death and sin and resurrected, and you give us new life, eternal life in you. So, God, we just are uh, forever thankful, and we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time to come together. God, we lift up Pastor Ruben and his entire family, ask that you watch over them and protect them as they travel. God, would you continue to heal Pastor Ruben's body? Uh, I pray for a complete 100% recovery, God. No, no lasting issues, God. And we know that you can do it. We know that you're faithful to do it. We, we just trust in you and we give him to you. God, I ask that you move here this morning in this message, in this time, in this service. We've already had a great time of worship. And God, we just continue to worship you as we hear from your word. God, I pray that you would just use me. Uh, I'm your vessel. God, set me aside, really. Just let your words come out of my mouth. And uh, God, you just have your way in this place. We give you full permission to speak to our hearts. We give you full permission to move in our lives. God, we give it all to you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in our series, Fan or Follower. This is our third message in here. And we've been talking about what does it look like uh, either to be a fan of Jesus or to be a follower of Jesus. If you've missed any of our messages, make sure you go to YouTube and check out those messages. We started with, uh, as a fan, you say, it's all about me. Or as a follower, you say, it's all about him. And then the next week we said, if you're a fan, it's all mine. We talked about our resources and our money. And if you're a follower, it's all his. Everything belongs to God. And so today, we're going to jump into miracles. We're going to talk about whether we want the miracle. Or do we want the miracle giver? The fan wants the miracle. The fan always wants the the, the, the end prize, the, the good response, the miracle, the change to everything. But the, the follower really wants the miracle giver. The follower recognizes that Jesus is the source of the miracles. And and so instead of just having the, the golden egg, I, I want the goose that lays the golden egg. I want the source of where that goodness comes from. That's the fan or the follower. Uh, we, we came up with these definitions. We started the first week, a fan. Is an enthusiastic admirer. That's who the fan is. Uh, we use this analogy of like a sports fan. This is the person who has all the merchandise, has the jersey, knows all the stats of the team, knows the history of the team, who's on staff, who's who's on the roster. They know all of those things, but they sit in the stands. They don't have any skin in the game. They're not participating at all. In fact, they have, they have the, every opportunity to just walk away if they need to. There's no, there's no life change. There's nothing that is tying them to this team. And if we're a fan of Jesus, we kind of do the same thing. We like his stories. We like his, what he says. They're really good to quote and post on social media. But I don't need to change my life because of what he says. I don't need to, 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 to change who I am because of what Jesus does. That's the fan. The fan steps back and keeps that space between him or herself and Jesus. They, they, they just want to be a fan. They don't, they don't want to be a follower. The follower is a devoted disciple. Being a follower uh, requires something a little bit more, a little bit more uh, on the person. There's this commitment. It's devotion. It, it's like a marriage. It's saying, I do to Jesus. It's this following mentality. And you're also a disciple. You're someone who chooses to learn and chooses to change. You want Jesus to move in your life in such a way that you change and you become more like him. You become more loving, more compassionate, more, more merciful in all of your actions with everybody. The, the follower decides that they want to follow Jesus in every aspect of their life, that there's nothing left for him to, to, to move in, that, that there's nothing that they're holding back from him. And so today, we're looking at this idea of I want the miracle or I want the miracle giver. Now, have you ever seen a miracle? Have you ever experienced a miracle? Uh, I did one time, uh, I was uh, this was quite a few years ago, and we had someone coming to our church, his name was Eric, and he got sick, uh, I want to say this was like October, November time frame, he got sick, he got a strep infection that turned septic, got into his blood, a blood infection, and he ended up in the hospital, in ICU, uh, he was near death, and uh, we visited him many times and prayed over him, and, and it was just, it, it was a pretty serious deal, and Coming into Christmas, we were actually getting ready that morning to start our Christmas Eve services. And we get a call from Eric's wife. And she says, they're, they're getting ready to take Eric back. They're going to amputate his legs. And she's crying. She doesn't know what to do. So we decide, well, we're going to go. We're just going to go pray for him. Because we need a miracle. We need God to move. So myself and Pastor Jason, uh, we, we drive over there and we go into that room. And, and Eric is still unconscious. He's, he's, he's being medicated. They're trying to take care of him. And we look down and I see his legs. And they're like purple and black. And, and there's no life in them. And so we began to pray. And I, I put my hands on his leg to pray over his leg in Jesus' name. And it surprises me. I was not ready for it. I mean, his leg was cold. Was, there was no life in it, and so we pray, and we pray in Jesus' name, and we know that God, and we pray by faith, and we know that God can move in a mighty way, and so, and it's crazy because we're sitting there praying, and there's all these doctors and nurses moving around in the room, and they're prepping everything. I mean, they are ready to take him to surgery. That was the next step as we were going to get done, and then they were going to take him off, and so we prayed, and we, we, we talked to his wife and we comforted her and we encouraged her and we prayed with her and, and we, we left there just going, God, it's in your hands. We know you can do it. We don't know if you're going to do it. We, w- we want your will to be done. And so we, we just drive off and we're, we're heading back because we got to get to church because we've got Christmas Eve services. And on, on our way back, Eric's wife calls us and says, they're not going to do surgery. They're going to wait. And so then the next day we hear from her and she says, there's, there's life coming back into his legs. There's warmth. And then the next day and the next day and she sent us pictures and I, I see this, this leg that I touched and by God's grace, not by my power, not by anything, like, by God's power, like this leg started coming back to life and the doctors are astonished. They're like, those were dead cells and now they're not dead cells. And God moved in this miraculous way. He did something that was supernatural. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Now here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Here's something I had to struggle through and I had to work through with God. It didn't last like that happened. God did it, but it didn't last. And his legs and his feet still died and they still had to amputate. And Eric got Prosthetics, and he learned how to walk, and he learned how to to move again, and he started playing golf again. And I remember when he came back to church, I had a lot of fun with him because if you know Forrest Gump, I said, "Oh, Lieutenant Dan, you got new legs, you know? But here comes Eric," and he had such a great attitude about it, and he knew that God was over his life. I mean, like he was living. It could have been a lot worse, but as we as we as I went through that, I, I kind of struggled. I said, "God, what what was going on? Like, did the miracle not actually happen?" I was like, "Well, no, because." Because his legs were cold and then they were warm. The cells were dead and then they were alive. And I didn't understand necessarily, God, why, why would you move like this? It didn't mean that God didn't move just because it wasn't permanent. He did. And, and so as I, I processed through and I thought about it and, I, and I'm just like praying to God, why? And, and one, one reason could be, and I don't know because I don't know the full extent to why God did it, but I, I know at least he carried Eric and his wife through Christmas with hope that that there wasn't going to be death that there was life coming back into his body. I know for me, God moved in me to show me what he could do. As I put my hands on that cold leg, there was a moment of 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 real doubt of like, "Oh my." Not just like, "Oh, we're going to pray like we normally pray and we but like God like you actually have to move and then and then God did move so God God used this miracle to build my faith and to build my trust in him see a miracle is something that can that can only happen by God's moving. the The definition. The Oxford Languages Dictionary says it like this: It's a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. It can't be explained. The doctors were confused when we when we saw this miracle after we had prayed after God had moved. Now that's a really good secular (laughs) definition of what a miracle is. I went to GotQuestions.org. They have a biblical worldview, and they said a miracle is an event that involves the direct and powerful action of God transcending the ordinary laws of nature and defying common expectations of behavior. It's because of God's moving that a miracle happens. A miracle only happens by God moving and it's supernatural. It's something that that would not normally happen. It's not something that can be explained away. God moves in ways that only he can. And so today we're going to talk about what that looks like, what, what this, how we approach God in these times when we need miracles. We can be like the fan and we can say, I want the miracle. I just want the miracle. I just need God to move. Or we can be like the follower of Jesus and we can say, I want the miracle giver. I want to be close to Christ. I want to be close to God. Even if the miracle doesn't come, even if the miracle doesn't last, even if something else comes, because guess what? In this world, we will have many troubles. God can move in a miraculous way, but it doesn't mean that nothing else is bad as bad is ever going to happen. We're still going to, we're going to still experience life in this fallen world. And so sometimes we come to these, these events, these crisis events, we have something like Eric did where it was like, all of a sudden there's a health issue and we've got to pray and God, we need you to move. Other times, we just have lasting things that are going on. Maybe it's a chronic illness or it's a financial situation or whatever it is. We're like for years and years and years and we're praying and we're saying, God, I need you to move in a miraculous way. I need you to do this. We, We want, we need that miracle. We need God to move. Maybe it's to fix a health issue. Maybe it's to fix a financial issue or to fix a marriage that's on the verge of collapse. Maybe we need God to move and draw back a wandering child away Word child. We need, we know that it's going to require a miracle, something supernatural to happen. Maybe we need God to move in a broken relationship, to do something that only he could do, to move in behaviors, to move in a heart. None of us can move in someone else's heart, but God can do that. And God can perform that miracle. And the challenge is the fan will approach God in different ways because they're just a fan. They may say, Lord, if you do this, I'll start going to church. They approach God saying like, we'll barter barter for this miracle. We'll barter for your work. If you do this, then I'll start praying. I'll start going to church. I'll start doing this. I'll, I'll start doing this. That's the fan mentality. The fan mentality says, really, all I want is the miracle. I'm not really concerned with the miracle giver. The fan will say, Jesus, I know I haven't really been faithful, but I could really use your help here. The fan says, I've tried everything else. I guess my last resort is to go to God. That's the fan mentality. The idea of, I just need the miracle. That's all I need. I don't really need God. I just need his work. The fan will seek God in in all these ways, but they really, all they want is that miracle. They don't want to see God. I did this in my 20s. I was far from God. And I would say prayers and ask for miracles. Like, God, please don't let me get pulled over. I promise I won't do this again. God, please don't let me be arrested. I won't do this again. God, don't let me die in this situation. I won't do this again. I promise God. And I broke every single one of those promises. And I would cry out to God, but I didn't really want God in my life. I just wanted him to move. I just wanted the blessing, the the miraculous move of God Without everything else, without the commitment, without the devotion, without the learning, without being a disciple, I just wanted God as my cosmic genie, that I could just make a wish and he would, he would do it. And that's what the fan does. The fan says, I just need the miracle. I just need, God, you're my cash cow. Would you just come and, and fix this situation? And then everything else will go back to normal. You're at my beck and call, God. Just whenever I need you, that's your, that's your role in my life. That's the fan's mentality when we're talking about miracles, The fan recognizes that God can perform miracles and that he does, but they fail to understand the reason, the purpose. We see this in Psalm 77. It says, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. There's a purpose for God doing miracles. And that purpose is not the miracle itself. The purpose for the miracle is not to get you out of the situation. It's not to bring the health to your body. That's not the purpose that may be a result, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to bring attention to him, is to show his character, is to show God's loving grace and to show who he is and how strength, uh, what his strength looks like and what his power looks like. The miracle is an act of grace and mercy by God to reveal himself to you and to those around you. The miracle has a purpose, not just to solve the situation, but on a larger scale to show who God is. The fan only sees the miracle, only sees the result, only sees the good thing and doesn't recognize the true purpose. For example, like in Eric's leg, there was a larger purpose there working in me, working in Eric and in his wife and those around. God's using that story today to to speak to you. It's a larger purpose with that. The follower of Jesus though, understands this. The primary purpose of a miracle is to illuminate the miracle giver that's the primary purpose of the miracle it's to show who god is the scope of the miracle The power of the miracle, the absurdity of the miracle, all of those things point to who God is. They show his compassion and his love. They show his authority over our physical bodies and over health. They show his strength and his power. They show his sovereignty over all creation, over weather and animals and all kinds of stuff. Like the miracles that God does, it shows his heart for justice. It shows his majesty. The purpose is to point to Jesus, to the miracle giver. And so the follower recognizes that the follower says, you know, I want more of the miracle giver, not just the miracle. I want the miracle. I need the miracle. I need you to move God. I want you to be active in my life. But more importantly, I want to be with you. And as I thought about this, I processed with Pastor Nick, like, like, where in the Bible do we see these kind of relationships where, where people are looking for God and they, they want the miracle or they want the miracle giver? And what kept coming to mind, what we kept talking about was, was the Israelites. We see the Israelites over and over, and they actually have this fan mentality. They want the miracle, and they're not as concerned with the miracle giver. We see it time and time again. Now, who are the Israelites? I'll give you a brief history really quick. Uh, Abraham was chosen by God. He said, go to this place I will show you and I'll give you this promised land. I'll bless you and I'll make a nation out of you. And so Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. These become the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. That's where we get the Israelites from. And one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, uh, was one of his favorites. And his other brothers were very envious of him. They sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. Now God's favor went before Joseph. and, And 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 he was successful in all that he did. And he ended up becoming like the governor of Egypt, essentially the vice president, the the second under Pharaoh. And so Joseph has all of this power and he leads Egypt through these seven years of feast where it's really good. And then this famine comes, this this time of drought and and famine. And and Joseph, (laughs) because he worked on the seven years before, they have plenty stored up and he's taking care of Egypt and Egypt becomes very powerful and they're making all this money. Now, during this famine, Jacob and, and all of Joseph's family, they're they're living in, in, in Canaan and they are starving. They're, they're running out of food. So they go down to Egypt to buy some food and, and God reunites their family. It's a beautiful story of redemption and re- reconciliation and forgiveness and how God moves and goes before us. And so Joseph brings his entire family down to Egypt. He says, look, I'm, I'm like second in charge here. I have everything at my, at my disposal. You just come down here and live and we'll, we'll live really well. So they all come down and they live in this place called Goshen. And and Goshen is where the Israelites, this family of 70 people roughly, come and they live and then they start multiplying. They start just growing as this huge family. And and Joseph dies and after year after year, they're, they're there for about 430 years. And so over that time, there's a new Pharaoh and there's a new Pharaoh and there's a new Pharaoh. And eventually there's a Pharaoh that doesn't remember Joseph and doesn't remember how God moved before him and doesn't remember the promises of the previous Pharaohs. And he, and he looks and he sees all of these Israelites who have expanded and multiplied and he says, you know what? If, if they ever want to fight us and ever want to rise up against us, we would have a problem. So let's enslave them. So Pharaoh enslaves the Israelites. He makes them slaves to Egypt and requires them to work. And the Israelites cry out to God because they don't want to be slaves. Nobody wants to be a slave. And so they cry out and God chooses to hear them and he he listens to them. He, he, He recognizes, he remembers his promise to Abraham and all that he would do. And he uses Moses and he sends Moses in and he delivers the Israelites from Egypt. And we see this kind of culminate in Exodus 12:31 it says during the night Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said up leave my people you and the Israelites go worship the Lord as you have requested here's this miracle this is a a people who were slaves uh, Pharaoh would not lightly give up his slaves. <laughs> it was free labor. And, and, and so that wouldn't happen. So God moves. But you see right here, this purpose that God had for delivering them and for performing miracles. It says, go worship the Lord as you have requested. When they went to Pharaoh, they said, let my people go so that we may go worship God. The purpose of the miracles was to get the people closer to God, to get the Israelites out of Egypt and worshiping and following God alone. Not living in Egypt, following all the Egyptian gods and doing all of those customs and those traditions, but to get closer to God, to get closer to the miracle giver. They cried out for this. And they saw all kinds of miracles. God did amazing things. There were 10 plagues, 10 miracles that God did to show Pharaoh that God was God alone, that he was bigger than any other Egyptian God, any other thing that they saw. He turned the Nile into a river of blood. He brought gnats and flies and frogs and locusts over all of, all of their crops and stuff. He, he, he inflicted the livestock, he inflicted boils and illness on all of the people. In fact, there was a day where he made it completely dark in everywhere in Egypt, except in Goshen, where the Israelites were, so that he could show Pharaoh, I am God. I am Yahweh. I am alone. I am the only God. And then the last miracle, the last plague that he does is the the plague of the firstborn. And God goes through and he kills all the firstborn males of Egypt and he does this because that's what Pharaoh did when Moses was born. When, when, when Pharaoh was concerned about the Israelites growing, he went through and he killed every male, first, uh, every male, not just the firstborn, but every male. And so God does this, and that's where we get Passover. And they, God tells them to, to have this meal and to, to put the Passover lamb blood over their doorposts and that and the angel of death would pass over them. And so God does all of these miracles and if you recognize, God doesn't always do miracles that are just for our benefit, just to give us a good result. Sometimes the miracle is to show someone else who God is. That's what he did with Pharaoh. In all of these things, he's showing him, he's showing Pharaoh, and he's showing all the Israelites who he is, the power he has. He, he's sovereign all over all creation. He's sovereign over health. He's, he's sovereign over life itself. And so God does this and they kick them out. Pharaoh says, get out of here. We're done with this. In fact, he says, take all the gold, take whatever you want. Just leave. We're tired of this. And so we pick it up in Exodus 13, verse 17 says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, look at what God does. God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. The Israelites are, are still learning who God really is. They haven't really been in his presence for the last 400 years. They've been in Egypt. And so God knows that, that they, could, they could potentially just turn back and go back to Egypt. He recognizes that even though they've seen all of these miracles, even though we can see miracles in our lives, we can see God moving, there's still that issue that sometimes our faith is weak. Sometimes we're not as far along as we think we are. Sometimes God recognizes and he gives us grace and he says, I'm not going to take you directly there because if I take you directly there, you may turn away. You may face some other issues, some other obstacles, some other battles. And so I want to, I want to protect you and we're going to go around it the long way. And that's what he does with the Israelites. He takes them around because he says if they go, then they experience battle, they may turn away. Now God's grace is for us in that way. Now, if that happens to you, if you recognize like God's moving, but it's not quite exactly like I really needed it. Like I prayed for God to do this miracle. I prayed for God to move in my, in my relationship or in my child's life or in in my marriage, but it's, it's, it's going kind of weird or it seems different, or it it would be easy if he just did it this way. And when God's not doing that, what you need to do is just step back and go, God, what are you doing? What, What I had to do with Eric, God, why did you heal and then, and then not heal anymore? Why did you heal and then, and then let it go reverse and go back and, and do that? Sometimes we just need to ask God, what are you doing? What do I need to learn? God, is my faith too small? God, how can I grow my faith? God, teach me in this moment. Remember, God's purpose of the miracle is not the result. God's purpose is to show us more of him. God's purpose in the miracle is to draw us closer to him. So when those things are going on, when the miracle doesn't seem to be happening exactly like we thought, or, or maybe a little bit of miracle, and then a lot of change and, and, and obstruction and battles, we just need to ask God, what are you doing? He wants our eyes to be fixed on him throughout everything, through every, everything we're doing, regardless of the situation. He's kind and he's gentle as he draws us to himself through miracles. Now look how he cares for the Israelites in this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. So the Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham, at the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Another miracle. God's literal physical presence is right before the Israelites. God was a a cloud by day. Like everybody could say like, where's God? Oh, there he is. It's that pillar right there. That's God. He's with us. He's going before us. It's moving. Let's follow it. (laughs) <laughs> and his grace, is his miracle is, it's a cloud by day, so they have shade. In the, in the desert of of Egypt and and of, of the Middle East, they have this shade, and then at night, it's a big, huge pillar of fire, so they have light, and they have warmth. God is taking care of them. The, the Israelites have never been more safe or more secure. Everywhere they look, they can see that God is with us. There he is. He's right there. He's going before us, and if it moves, let's follow it, because that's God. He tells us to go, and he tells us to stay. We want to be with him. When you when you see the miracles of God, when you acknowledge like there he is, that's him. Then, then when you see his great power, then, then you will learn to desire him over the miracle. As this p- pillar went before them, they recognized like we want to just be with God. It's not about the things that are going on. It's not about the situations. It's not that we're not going directly to the promised land. I'm pretty sure there were probably people in the camp going like Moses, you know, if we would have taken a, a right over here, we would have gotten there by now. <laughs> but Moses is saying, we're going to follow God. God is leading us. That is the purpose of the miracle. That is why we want to do it. The miracle is wonderful, right? The miracle is fantastic. We, we got, when God moves and does something miraculous, it, it benefits us. And so we're very thankful, but it's not the end. More of Jesus is the followers cry. The follower says, I need more of Jesus. I need more of that pillar. I need to be close to that, not concerned about any other miracle. The follower recognizes the need for God above the need for the miracle. See, the follower doesn't just wish for God to do something. He doesn't see God as this genie. He asks God for his will to be done, whether there's a miracle or not. In fact, the follower of Christ, the the one who's going after the miracle giver, Often their prayer is, God, I really want this to happen, but let your will be done. Maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe God, you know more than I do. The follower doesn't give God an ultimatum. The follower doesn't say, you know what, God, if you move here, then I'll believe. God, if you do this over here, then I'll go to church. God, if you do this over here, then I'll read my Bible. That's not the follower of Jesus. The follower says, God, I'm going to pursue you in everything. And I pray that if it's your will, if it's the right thing, then you'll move in this situation. The follower doesn't hinge their belief and their faith on whether the miracle happens or not. The follower doesn't say, oh, well, there was no miracle. God didn't answer. So he must not be real. The follower doesn't say, you know what? If God didn't move in this situation, then he must not love me. So I'm not going to follow him. The follower knows that God is bigger than the miracles. God is bigger than the situations and the circumstance. The follower wants to be close to God, regardless of the situation, whether they're on the mountaintop or they're going down through the valley. They want more of God. When you see God move in this way, how do you respond? When you see God move in your life, how do you respond? When you see the pillar, is your, is your first reaction like, uh, hopefully it's Thanksgiving, it's, it's gratefulness, it's, it's praise to God for what he's done, but is it, is it quickly removed? And like, God, thank you for that, now it's time to get back to everything else. Okay, the marriage is good, so now we can go on and live the same way we were before. Okay, cool, the financial situation is taken care of, I've paid the mortgage and now we're good. And so we just go back? Or is your, is your response that, God, I, I want more of you. you, you're so gracious and good and loving and the, that you moved in this situation. I just, what do you want me to do? Is your response, God, have me, have my life? Look at what goes on with the Israelites as they continue on in Exodus 14. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses: Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pi uh, Ha Haroth, between Migdol and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused; they are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and will chase, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. God preps them. God says, this is going to happen. You're going to go do this. Pharaoh's going to think you're confused and think that he can come attack you. And I'm going to do another miracle. And the purpose again is not to save you. It's to bring glory to God, to show that he is God alone. So this is the Israelites camp there as they were told. When uh, verse five, when word reached the king of Egypt, that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. They did exactly what God said. What have we done? Letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near pi Ha across from Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked. When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. There was a pillar of cloud and fire right before all the people. There's the literal presence of God and, and their concern. They say, why don't we just, why, why did you bring us out here? Their memories are like this, (laughs) this big. They can't even see God moving before them. And they're so concerned because they just really don't know God. They haven't allowed the miracle to draw them closer to who God is. They're not recognizing that. All they've been doing this whole time, back when they were in Egypt, they were crying out, God, save us, give us this miracle. God, do this, change us, deliver us from from Pharaoh. Okay, God, God, you've done that. Okay, God, take us this way and and do these miracles and do this. All they care about is the miracle and they don't care about the miracle giver. They're they're concerned because another issue has come up. And even when God warned them, Moses told them, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go over here and the Egyptians are going to pursue. Us and God's going to show his glory. And they just, they don't get it. They don't get that. God is bigger than anything. God is bigger than any situation you have going on in your life. Maybe you're here today. You decided I need to go to church because I need God to move. And I want you to hear this today. God is bigger than whatever situation you're going through. Whatever circumstance is happening in your life. God is aware of it. He is bigger than it. There's nothing that has caught God by surprise. It wasn't like God turned around. and was like, Oh, you're in trouble. God knows and God loves you. God is going to carry you through it. God is with you. God is for you. He is not going to forsake you. That doesn't mean that we don't have troubles. It doesn't mean that we don't have to go through hard things. Jesus said, we will suffer. We will pick up our cross daily and carry him. If we're a true disciple, we're going to be persecuted because of Jesus. That's what he promised. He promised. So you're going to go through these things, but God is bigger than whatever you are going through. And so when you put your faith in him, when you put your trust in him, then you can, you can weather any storm. You don't, you don't act like these Israelites who go, you know what? It would have been better if I just stayed where I was. If I just didn't even try to have God work in me, it would be better if I just stayed in Egypt, in my sin, in my, in my farness from God. It would just be better if I was over there. These Israelites have this attitude that is that is crying out to God yes but it's in a horrible way it's all in bitterness and resentment hear this when we need a miracle our attitude matters when we need a miracle our attitude matters how we approach God is important if we come to God with resentment and bitterness and like why aren't you moving in my life God that's your job well we look like the fan we just see God as this, as this cash cow up in heaven, ready to just pour out all of these things. But when we come with a, a humble heart and we come with a, a heart of the follower who's more concerned about the miracle giver than the miracle itself, and we come and we say, God, I need you. And God, if you want me to go through this, if you have something I'm supposed to learn, if you have some other purpose here, then, then I'm willing to do that, God. But just, just remind me, <laughs> would you show me that you're with me? Would you remind me that you're here with me? God, I want the miracle, but if you don't want the miracle, then I don't want the miracle. This commentary I read talked about these Israelites says, their outcry to Yahweh is not an earnest prayer. It's spontaneously, uh, it's not an earnest prayer, spontaneously arising out of their faith in Yahweh to deliver them out of trouble. Rather, it is a cry of bitter resentment against Moses and implicitly Yahweh for bringing them out of Egypt and putting them in their present state of peril. See, it's possible to fear the situation so much that you'd rather go back to how you were living before to go back away from God, back out of his promises and out of his presence. When we're only focused on the miracle, like the fan is, then we don't see that God is being, uh, that his presence is enough for us. We don't see that being with God is actually the miracle. Being with God is the miracle. The fact that God chooses to hear us is the miracle. That's the life that God chose to send his only son to die for us. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That, that, that God went to the cross, that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. That's the miracle that the relationship that was broken by Adam and Eve, that, that separated us from God because of sin has been reconciled. Jesus has filled that gap and, and gone before us and, and atoned for all of our sins. That's the miracle the fact that we get to talk with God, that He hears us. It reminds me of Psalm 8. David says, "When I consider all the stars and the heavens and everything you've made, God like, like, who am I that you would even consider me? That you'd even hear me. That's the miracle, is that we have God. The challenge is that miracles are easily forgotten. That's the challenge. Miracles are easily forgotten. The follower who's focused on Jesus in the moment is reminded of how faithful God has been regardless of the situation. They can weather the storm, even if, even if no miracle comes simply because of their assurance in who God is, because God is the miracle. God in our life, that's the miracle. The fan who only focuses on the miracle, only focuses on the result, only focuses on the, the immediate need right here, forgets how God has moved in the past. It's kind of how our brains are wired. I found this on WebMD. It's uh, an article by Jennifer Warner, and she said, Researchers say negative emotions like fear and sadness trigger increased activity in a part of the brain linked to memories. These emotionally charged memories are preserved in greater detail than happy or more neutral memories, but they may also be subject to distortion. Our brains are wired such that when there's a traumatic event or there's fear or there's distress, we really lock into, it locks into our memory more than when the miracle happens. than when we're happy, we remember the bad things and not the good things, which is horrible, but it's what we have to deal with. And so we have to recognize that and we go, okay, when the situation is happening and I'm in dire need and I go, God, I need you. I don't need to remember all of the bad things that have happened to me and go, well, God, you didn't move there. And God, you remember when this happened and God, when this happened, and now it's just, my life is miserable. It's always bad, 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 bad. We can have these short term memories like the Israelites who had God right with them. And they go, Oh, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Why'd you take us out? Why'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Their memory was so short. We have to look to remember what God has done in our lives. That's why I like to journal. I don't journal like every single day, but I try to journal and I go back and I read my journals because I need to see what God has done. I need to remind myself that God has moved in many different ways. There's lots of things that I have forgotten that God did in my life It's because I remember the tragic things. I remember the hard things, but I don't necessarily always remember how God moved. We see this happen over and over with the the Israelites as they go on this journey with God. Here they do it. They they forget that God just brought them out of Egypt. And now here comes this army and they're afraid of it. And so they cry out. And then in Exodus 16, after they get away from this, they're all hungry and thirsty. And it says, There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. (laughs) There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all all to death. They forgot how God had moved. They forgot that they had just walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Exodus 17, they keep going and but tormented by thirst, they uh, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? God fed them with manna. And, and, and made bitter waters easy for them to drink and delivered them. And then they get to another place and there's no water and they forget. And they go, why, why, God, what are you doing? I need the miracle. God, are you even here? Later in Numbers, they get to, they get to the promised land. And their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Their memories were so short. They see a a small challenge, a little battle, and they run away. They don't recognize that God is with them. The people, the fans of God who were excited when the water came or when they found the man on the ground, they, they forgot how faithful God was, that God was walking with them in every single situation. They constantly wanted the miracle and failed to see the miracle giver that was there with them the entire time. The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud going before them every single day. The fan only seeks God in times of trouble. The fan isn't seeking God when things are good on top of the mountain. The fan will go to church because I need to see God move in, in this miracle. But as soon as the miracles happened or the, the situation is over, well, I don't need to go to church anymore. The fan says, well, I need God and I'm going to pray. But as soon as he answers, then I don't really need to pray anymore. The fan has this spiritual amnesia that they forget everything that God has done in their life, that, 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 that they have breath in their lungs because of God. Here's what we have to do. We have to remember to trust in who God is. That's the follower. That's pursuing the miracle giver. When we want the miracle giver more than the miracle, we're on the right track and we have this peace. Moses tells them like this, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Moses reminds them, God is with us. God told us that this would happen and you're going to see him move today. But what you need to do is to stay calm and let the Lord fight for you. This, this Hebrew word, harash, that gets translated to calm. It means to be calm, still, and at peace. Here's the beautiful thing. Here's the wonderful thing about our Lord. In the midst of our circumstance, in the midst of what, what may be going on, in the midst of the broken relationship, in the midst of the marriage troubles, in the midst of the challenges, God is with us and we can have peace. Even while we're waiting for the miracle, we can have peace because we know it's God who goes before us. It's God who will fight for you. That's who our God is. They end up going through the Red Sea. God divides the waters. They, they go through on dry land and then the, the Egyptians follow and God brings the water back and kills them all just like He said, and as I thought about how God moves in these situations, even when we're fearful, even, even when we slide to that fan side where we're like, we're really concerned, we forget who God is. He is so gracious to us. It reminded me of a time when Jesus was, was with his disciples in a boat. And we see it in Matthew 8. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves. And suddenly there was a great calm, a great peace. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is with you he's in the middle of the storm with you that's what I see here and Jesus gets up and he and he calms the storm he literally tells it to shut up that's the power of our God he can just tell the storm tell the wind things that we have no control over he can just tell them to stop but he wants us to remember he asks him why are you so afraid didn't you know I was in the boat Didn't you see me? But sometimes we get so caught up and we forget who God really is. We maybe put him into a box. Maybe we don't recognize his strength or his power. We get scared like, God, you're sleeping. Jesus, you're sleeping. Wake up. Didn't you recognize what's happening? Don't you see what's happening in my life? It's falling apart. But Jesus just says, Have faith. I'm with you, I'm in the boat. That's what we have to remember. That's the follower says, you know what? My miracle giver, my salvation, my God, my Lord, my refuge, he's in the boat with me. I'm not by myself in this storm. He is with me. Jesus promises to always be with us. Matthew 28, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. He loves you. He just wants your love back. He doesn't want the fan who just wants to love the miracle. He wants the follower who loves the miracle giver, the miracle maker. The fan is always concerned with the circumstance and how God will deliver them more than their relationship with Jesus. As Jesus talked to the disciples, he's like, why are you, you have so little faith. Don't you recognize that that being with me is the best thing? Even if we're in the storm, we're okay. I'm not going to let it overtake you. I love how Paul says it here in the Philippians. He's writing to the church in Philippi and he says, I once thought these things were valuable. Now, previous to this, he's talking about like his own self-righteous. So I'm trying to make sure that that's the original context, but this principle still is relevant here. But he's talking about like, I was a Pharisee and I followed the law and all of this stuff. And he says, those things I thought were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And I think when when I think about miracles and I think about all the things that God could do, it really... If we wanna be the follower who's, who's following the miracle giver, the miracle maker, if we, if we follow him, then really everything else is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if God moves in that situation because I have God. That's the follower mentality. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is worthless, he says. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage excrement. That's the the Greek word there. It's excrement. It's crap. Everything else is crap compared to knowing Christ is what he says. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. The follower puts their faith in the miracle giver. The follower says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what, even in the storm. And I'm going to cry out. I'm not telling us not to want miracles. That's not the message here. We want miracles. We want God to move. He's gracious and he does move and and he's able to move and I know he's willing to move and we want him to move. But remember, the purpose of the moving, the purpose of the miracle is to draw us closer to him, to draw others closer to him. And so if our heart is set on him, Then we're happy when he moves, or even if he doesn't. Whether you're looking at your own accomplishments, your own abilities, or uh, to attain righteousness like Paul was talking about, or you're looking at the miracles, it's better to gain Christ than to gain miracles. It's better to gain Christ than to have our problems fixed. It's, It's better to gain Christ than to be healed from an illness. The question for each of us today is, are you okay with no miracle and more Jesus? Are you okay with the situation staying the way it is as long as you have more Jesus in your life? That's what Paul's talking about. He says, I consider it all garbage when I compare it to knowing Christ. He continues on. I says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. You ever said that prayer? Jesus, I want to suffer with you. It's not a prayer we normally say. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The fan wants to know the miracles of God and, and call on him only when they need him. The, the follower wants to know Christ and sees the miracle as a blessing, as an, as icing on the cake. That when God wants to move, it's a, it's, a, it's a benefit to us. There's this heart change. The real miracle is that we get to be with God. And when we recognize that, then our desire is no longer solely for the miracle. It doesn't mean that we don't want miracles. It's just our desire is not there. Our desire is on God. That's the follower of Christ. The follower says, Jesus, I need you more than anything else. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your love. And I need it to transform me and to change me. And God, however you want to work in this circumstance, your will be done. That's our call to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for all of the miracles that you perform. But most importantly, thank you for the miracle of salvation. Thank you for dying, doing the thing that we could not do, dying for all of our sins, living a perfect life, Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ and you recognize that you want to be a follower, not just a fan. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, as best as I know how, I confess to you all of my sin. I know that I've been walking far from you and I just put my faith in you. I trust that you will give me new life. So I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord and my Savior. God, we choose to put our hearts after you, not after the miracle. We choose to pursue you because you are good and you are holy and you are righteous and you do only good. God, we choose to have our hearts set on you because you are the miracle giver. You are the source, and there's nothing better than walking through any storm as long as we're being, as long as we're right alongside you. So, God, would you just remind us that you're with us? Would you remind us that you're in the boat? Would you carry us through all of the circumstances of life? God, we thank you and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name.